If you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. And I just want to begin with the scripture. We've been studying the book of Daniel now for a few weeks and learning uh, how it is that we in, in this world, in today's time, in a culture that that really rejects what Christianity teaches and what the Bible gives to us, how do we live in this culture today? And so we've seen important lessons in Daniel 1 and, and then two weeks in Daniel 2. Today we come to Daniel 3. Perhaps the, the best known chapter in the book of Daniel and one of the best known chapters in Scripture, Daniel chapter 3, the story Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the fiery furnace. So Nebuchadnezzar is the king. Uh, he is a pagan man who worshiped false gods, uh, but in a real sense, just worshiped himself. And you'll see a little bit of that in the passage today, the chapter today. He erects this incredibly large gold statue. And it's interesting that at the end of chapter 2, he had received news that in this vision he had had, in this dream he had experienced, that, that he was the head of gold. And perhaps that then motivated him in Daniel 3 to build this grand statue. And then he calls upon all the people to bow down and worship. And so he brings together his orchestra, all the instruments, they play their song, it is time for worship, and everybody bows down. At least everybody that they notice bows down. But then some advisors came to the king and said, there are three men who were not present and who did not bow down, and their names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So look with me, we'll begin reading in verse 12. It says, there are some Jews, this is the accusation that's given, there are some Jews you have appointed to manage the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these have ignored you, the king, and they do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. And so the king hears this, he calls these three men to come before him, and he gives them a second chance. So all the instruments, the orchestra plays again, these men refuse to bow. Look at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. The question, will you bow? We don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, and that's a, if he exists and we believe he does, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. The king had told them that this great furnace, this blast furnace of fire, that anybody who didn't bow to the statue would be executed by being thrown into the fire. And so these three men brought before the king say, we will not bow down. And if you want to throw us to the fire, our God can protect us. Our God can protect us. Now look at verse 18. 
But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. So we believe that God will rescue us. Our hope is in the Lord. But even if the Lord does not rescue us, we will still not bow down to your false gods because our allegiance is to the one true living God. Look at verse 19, the Nebuchadnezzar, that's the king, was filled with rage and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and he gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more than was customary. That just means he's mad, right? Verse 20, and he commanded some of the best soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. And so it happened. These men were tied up, tied up by the best of his soldiers, it says. They were thrown into the fire. They were executed. But if you look down in verse 24, something surprising happens. Verse 24 is this, then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm and he said to his advisors, didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Yes, of course, your majesty, they replied to the king. Of course we did that. Verse 25, he exclaimed, look, I see four men not tied walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. What an incredible, surprising, shocking turn of events. Look at verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the most high God, come out. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. Verse 27, when the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's advisors gathered around, they saw that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men. Not a hair of their heads was singed. Their robes were unaffected, and there was no smell of fire on them. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Now that last sentence I think is important because this is the king's account of what these men had done. What did the king say they had done? Do you see it there? They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Verse 29, therefore I issue a decree that anyone of any people, nation, or language who says anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb and his house will be made a garbage stump for there is no other God who is able to deliver like this. What a turn of events. And then the final verse to read today, verse 30, then the king rewarded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. I want us to see here today a picture of real faith. You know, if you ask people if they believe in God, most people in America, most people in Nacogdoches will say yes, not everybody, but most. I saw a survey just this last week that 79% of the people in America, 
They believe today that there is a heaven and that they are going there. People say they believe in God. Faith is everywhere in our culture. But is it real faith? Is it genuine? Is it authentic? Will it stand the test? Is it real faith? So here we see three things that distinguish real faith from something that's less than real. Number one, real faith trusts first and asks questions later. Real faith trusts first, trusts the Lord. And if there are questions, real faith will ask those questions later, but the first impulse of real faith is to trust the Lord. Now I want to go back and look at some of the verses we read a moment ago, and I'm going to show them to you on the screen, a little bit different Bible version. It doesn't say something different, it just says it very clearly in this Bible version, the ESV. So let's go back and look at verse 16. We'll see it on the screen, you can follow in your Bibles, but look how it reads here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. So the king had asked the question, are you going to bow? What are you going to do? If you don't bow when the instruments play, you'll be executed in this fiery furnace. What do you have to say about that? And I think it's interesting. And then I know sometimes the Bible really uses an economy of terms and, 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 and it doesn't give us a lot of uh, extra words. But I think it's interesting that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king. They didn't have to have a meeting about it. They didn't have to do a pro-con list. They didn't have to call their mama. They didn't have to get with their friends. They didn't have to pray about it for three and a half weeks. It just says Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king. It's almost as if they said it in unison. And I don't know if they did it that way or one spoke for the three, but we see here that they were resolute and they were quickly resolute. They answered and said to the king. They didn't have to consider. They didn't have to weigh the options. They didn't have to ask the questions. Well, if we were to die now, we wouldn't be able to serve God later. Maybe they had families at this time. We don't know. Perhaps they didn't. But they didn't weigh. You know, what's, what's going to be the effect on our families? And, and what about the responsibilities we have? And what about this? And what about that? And, you know, we don't have on sunscreen. And we don't like fire. And we don't want to stink. And, and they didn't go through any of those things. It just simply says... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Nebuchadnezzar, listen, we don't need to think about it. We don't need another chance. We don't need the instruments to play. We don't need to hear from the orchestra. Our minds are settled. Now, were there some questions perhaps that they could have considered? Were there, were there some uh, so, some uh, repercussions that this was going to bring? Sure, sure. There are always repercussions to being a faithful follower of Christ. But see, real faith trusts first and asks questions later. If we're put in a situation where we have to choose to take a stand for God, maybe a costly stand for God, or fail, listen, if you go and think about it, if you decide that you're going to consider it, if you're going to give it some time and talk to some advisors, 
First of all, delayed obedience is disobedience. Secondly, if you delay, you will not be obedient. What we really do when we say, I need some time to consider the options, we're just looking for ways to justify our disobedience. No, real faith trusts first and asks questions later. If you're put on the spot, if you're put on the spot at work or in your family, if you're put on the spot as a student, if you're put on the spot with your friends, trust God first. Well, what about the consequences and is there another way and what will be the repercussions? No, real faith says, I'll trust God now. I'll address the questions later. The second sign of real faith here, real faith recognizes the power of God over every problem. Now look with me on the screen at verse 17. If this be so, so they're continuing to talk to the king. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. So they have this confidence in the power of God. They said God is able. Do you believe that? God is able. God is able. He is able to rescue us. You can, you can heat this furnace seven times hotter or 70 times hotter. Our God is able. They had no question about the power of God. And they said in the end, he will deliver us out of your hand. There are a lot of ways to be delivered out of the hand of the king, right? Uh, he could have delivered them. Uh, God could have delivered them out of the fire alive, or he could have used the fire to take them to heaven. There are a lot of ways to be out from under the hand of the king. And, and they didn't know perhaps which way that was going to go, but they had complete confidence in the ability of God. Faith, this is an important doctrinal distinction. Listen, faith is not the ability to predict what God is going to do. Faith is having confidence that God can do what God chooses to do. You, you see the difference? If you've been diagnosed with some disease, should you have faith that God can heal you of that disease? You should have faith because he can. There's no disease that is greater than God. Will God heal you from that disease? I've certainly seen that happen. I've certainly seen God heal in ways that, that, that had no explanation other than the hand of God. I've seen God work through medicine and medical professionals and doctors and procedures and technology. And, and I think all of those things are gifts from the Lord. And then I've seen people who loved the Lord suffer and die with cancer. See, faith is not predicting what God will do. Faith is believing that God has the power to do what he chooses to do. That God has the power, and that God keeps his promises, and that God is good and he loves us. I remember one time, years and years ago, first church I pastored, I was in the hospital visiting uh, someone with some illness, I don't remember now what it was, and... Um, I don't remember if this, uh, if this lady was in my church and she had a sister in a, 
in another church in a different denomination or vice versa. But I was visiting with this woman in the hospital and whatever was wrong with her, it was something very, very serious. Well, while I was there, another pastor came in. And like I said, I don't remember if that pastor was her pastor or if that was her sister's pastor or maybe I was the sister's pastor. I don't know. But there we are, okay? And the other pastor, uh, Christian man, I'm sure, love the Lord, I'm sure, but uh, had a little different understanding of what it means to have faith in God. And so we talk and everybody's nice and we seek to encourage this lady and then it's time to pray. We're going to leave. It's time to pray. And so... Uh, the three of us, me and the other pastor and this woman, we begin to pray. And the other pastor, can I tell you what his prayer was? His, his prayer was, Lord, you tell us if we will have enough faith that you will heal this lady, that you will. And she'll get up out of this bed and she will walk home. And I believe she has faith. And I know I have faith. I don't know about this Baptist pastor or not. <laughs> so, Lord, if all three of us have faith, I know she's going to get up and walk out of here well. Well, I don't remember what happened to her, but I know that I, uh, I turned uh, three stages of red, three um, hues of red in that uh, prayer. Because, see, faith doesn't mean that I know that God's going to uh, stop the cancer, spread of the cancer, put you in remission. No, faith is knowing for certain that nothing is too hard for God. God will choose to do what God will choose to do, and he'll choose to do it without asking my opinion, and, and, and he'll choose to do it for reasons often that are beyond my understanding. Faith is believing God can do what God chooses to do. Real faith recognizes the power of God over every problem. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. There's no question. They had faith. They didn't know if he would, but they knew he could. And then finally, number three, real faith lives for the glory of God, not the benefits of God. Real faith lives for the glory of God. Our lives are for the glory of God, not for the benefit of self. Look at verse 18 as I'll show it to you on the screen. But if not. So they said, we believe God can rescue us from this. But if not, if he doesn't, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They said, we believe God can do it. Verse 17, no doubt in our minds. And we're hopeful, we're hopeful. But even if God does not rescue us, we'll still be faithful. We'll still be faithful to you. Now, what is, what is that? That's an example of real faith in these three men that valued the glory of God more than the benefits of God. You see, they, they, they didn't want to burn up in the fire, of course. But they said, if we burn up in the fire, we burn up in the fire. The more important thing is not the fire and our burned bodies. The most important thing 
is that God is honored and we will not compromise. We will not worship your false God. We will stand full faith in God to the end, even if we burn in the fire. I think the most important words, uh, perhaps in this whole passage, and I'm going to say this again about two different words in a moment, but uh, perhaps the most important words in this entire passage, uh, if y'all if, if could show us verse 18 again on the screen in the ESV, it's the first three words here, but if not. See, that's the kind of faith we need to have. But if not faith, I believe that God's going to provide for me. But even if he doesn't, I'm going to be faithful to him. I believe God can protect my job. But even if he doesn't, I'm going to be faithful to him. I believe that God will bless my family. But even if he doesn't, I'm going to do what God has told us to do. This is a willingness to suffer for the glory of God. Suffer for the glory of God. There are times we need to be willing to lose a job. You know, in this world, there are some Christians in some jobs, and you're going to be in a situation where you have to choose whether to bow down and, and worship this culture or stand for God. And listen, you may lose your job, but real faith lives not for the benefits of God, a nice job, a cushy home, a healthy no, real faith lives for the glory of God. We must be willing to lose a relationship. You may be dating somebody, and, and you may have to say something or do something because you want to stand for what God says you should stand for, and you may lose the relationship, may break your heart. But see, that's living for the glory of God, not the benefits of God. Maybe it's not a dating relationship. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a friend, a close friend. Maybe it's a, a relative. Maybe it's a son or daughter. And you know that to take a stand with the Lord, you may rip some fabric apart that will bring terrible pain. But, but real faith lives for the glory of God, not the benefits of God. You may, you may lose a tax break. You may lose some retirement. You may lose some money. You may lose an opportunity for promotion. You may lose some freedom. You may lose any number of things. But real faith will choose the glory of God over the benefits of God. It's interesting. When you go to Hebrews 11, and you, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to show, show you a few verses on the screen, but if you go to Hebrews 11, that's known as the roll call of faith. And it lists these great men and women of the faith, Bible heroes. Talks about Moses and Elijah. And these people that, that took these strong stands, Deborah, they took these strong stands for God. They risked something and God came through and provided for them in a phenomenal way. Isn't that amazing? But then something changes when you get near the end of the roll call of faith. Uh, the first 34 verses, it talks about the Bible hero, the risk, and the miracle provision of God. Verse 35, let me read it. Women receive their dead raised to life again. That's good news, right? They, 
they had to take a stand for God and the stand that they took ended up costing them the lives of their children and God intervened and brought their children back to life. But here it all changes in the middle of this verse. Other people were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. What does that mean? There were some people and, and they were arrested because of their faith. And they were told that if you will just deny your faith, we'll let you go. And they refused to deny their faith and they were tortured and they died. No miracle. They just died. They chose the glory of God over the benefits. The next verse, verse 36, others experienced mockings and scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonment. Verse 37, they were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. This is talking about people who took a stand for God and they lost their job. They lost their finances. They lost the this and the that and the certification and the uh, authentication and the whatever that they needed to live. They lost it. But they didn't turn their back upon God. They would rather their lives bring honor and glory to God than benefit to themselves. Verse 38 says the world was not worthy of them. I love that. The world, you see, it seemed like the world was the winner and they were the loser. Nice. The world's not even worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. But, verse 39, all these were approved through their, what? Through their faith. But they did not receive what was promised. They didn't receive it on earth in this life. They didn't get their job back. They didn't, they, they didn't get released from prison. They, they didn't avoid being sawn in two. But because they had real faith, while they didn't receive the benefits in this life, they certainly did in the life to come. You see, real faith lives for the glory of God, not the benefits of God. Daniel, I'm sorry, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, King, we don't have to answer you in this. We believe that God can. He has the ability to rescue us from whatever kind of furnace you can build. But even if he doesn't, we will stay faithful to him. Come what may. Come what may. So that's my sermon, but I have a second sermon, okay? Uh, two for one, you don't have to pay again. Um, but I, I want you to look back. I, I told you the most important words in the verse are, um, but if not. Uh, but let me take that back. I think the most important words in the verse are in verse 25, where it says they were not tied. So look with me. It's on the screen, verse 25. He exclaimed, so the three men have been put in the furnace, and the king looks. By the way, there is an ancient tradition, and we don't know if this is true, but it's in the Septuagint. And I probably shouldn't take this time, but it, the Septuagint, is, uh, Septuagint is, is a Greek translation of the Old Testament. Uh, a few generations before Jesus came, uh, much of the world spoke Greek, Old Testament written primarily in Hebrew, Although this part of the Old Testament was written in Aramaic, 
But they took the Old Testament in Hebrew, mostly in Hebrew, and they turned it, they translated it into Greek. And so and a lot of the Old Testament quotations you read in the New Testament come from this Septuagint. It comes from, because we have copies of it, it comes from the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so it's almost exactly like the Hebrew. It's just a faithful translation in most cases. But there is a difference here. Here in the Septuagint, it says that when the three men were in the fire, that they began to sing. Now, we don't know. We don't know. But I think it's, I like to imagine this, that the way the king knew he needed to take a look into the fire is he throws them in the fire, and instead of the sizzle, um, he's hearing them say, it is well, it is well. I mean, I don't know what song they sang, but um, they, they sing, and so he, he looks in. Look, I see four men, verse 25, not tied, walking around in the fire, unharmed. The fourth looks like the Son of God. I, I tell you, 99 sermons out of 100 you hear on this uh, verse uh, will either be about um, they walked around in the fire unharmed or there was a fourth person. And those would be excellent sermons. But, but look at those two words. They were not tied. Uh, I really started to jettison my entire sermon this morning just to talk about this. Um, I think that phrase, not tied, may be the most significant phrase in the passage. Now, let's, let's notice how we got there. If you go back to verse 20, and I don't think I have this on the screen, but perhaps I do. If you go back to verse 20, we read it a moment ago. It said, and the king commanded some of his best soldiers to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men, uh, they were helpless. They were bound by the very best soldiers that the king had. So they were well tied. Uh, the bonds kept them from doing what they would ordinarily do. They couldn't lo loose themselves from the bond. They were tied. So God freed these men. When we get down to verse 25, God has freed them from their bonds. But how did God do it? I mean, these men, I'm sure they struggled and struggled against those bonds. But how did God free them? The scripture doesn't say, so we have to read between the lines. But I think this is fair. How did they get free? I believe when they went into the fire... It didn't burn them. It didn't burn their clothing. It didn't singe their hair, the Bible says. But it burned one thing. What was that? Burned the bonds. God used the fire to burn away the bonds. So what's the lesson there? There are times when we get tangled up and the world will bring bondage, difficulty into our lives. There are times when we're going to be very limited because of our bonds. And there are going to be some times when you and I can't get free, no matter how much we struggle. In these times, the Lord will be faithful to us 
but he may send us through the furnace to burn away our bonds and to free us from our restraints. Church, I've been struggling. I've been struggling under some heavy cords uh, for a number of months. And I've felt in a real sense like I've been in bondage. I've struggled. I've struggled as hard as I could struggle to free myself uh, from just deep despair. And I'm weary from my struggle. I've learned, or I'm learning, this past week that for me, no amount of struggle, self-help, determination, taking the bull by the horns, manning up to the problem, none of those things is going to get me free from the bonds. I'm convinced that the only way I will be free of these bonds is for the Lord to burn them away in the furnace. As a child of God, the Lord has promised to be with me even in the furnace, just as he was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And though the furnace can be a scary place, I believe that in that time of adversity, for me, the Lord will loose me from this bondage of despair. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about the details of the situation, but I hesitate. Uh, I've told this story, this is number seven this week, well, last week, this week. Uh, hardest story I've ever told. Um, I've preached a lot of sermons, led a lot of church meetings. Um, so I'll share the details, some details, but I don't want the focus to be on me. I want the focus to be on the provision of God that he'll see us through the furnace and he'll burn away the bonds. And perhaps if you have faced or are facing or will face despair, uh, this will encourage you. So I'm going to read this mostly just to make it clear. I'm not generally a very emotional person, um, but I think this is best read. I have a problem. I don't want to overstate the problem. I'm not involved in some sin. There is no scandal. There are no suspicions of scandal. There is no accusation. There are no secrets. I pretty much live my life in front of everybody. My marriage is good. Uh, I don't need more money. I mean, I could, if you've got some extra. <laughs> maybe I should delete that from my outline. No, I don't, I don't have money problems. My physical health is good. I don't have cancer, diabetes, or high blood pressure. Or, um, I don't have a problem with our church or with anybody in our church. I love this church. I believe that this will be the last church I ever pastor. I want it to be. Uh, this may have you know, more to do with you than me, but if we're up to me, 
I will pastor here another 15 plus years or as long as the Lord will keep my mind sharp enough to be able to find the church. Um, might not be 15 years, it might be <laughs> February even. So I don't want to overstate the problem, there is no crisis, um, but I don't want to understate the problem either. I've been a senior pastor for over 29 years. Uh, I was serving as a full-time associate minister in different roles for a number of years and then in 1994 a small church, country church, called me to be their pastor. Uh, the Lord really blessed us and in just a short time we began to hire our first ever full-time staff and so that was 1994 and since then, 29 years, a little over, I've been the buck stops here person for the community, the church, the church members and the staff. And I've seen a lot uh, in, um, I've seen a lot in 29 years, but I've never been where I am today. I have never struggled like I have struggled in 2023. I have just hit a wall, lost my motivation. I lost my, I've lost my energy to minister. Everything I do is absolutely exhausting. My mind, I can't remember in the afternoons what I did in the mornings. And it's really, really hard for me to be around people, really hard. There have been some hurdles and some difficulties in the last two years, but nothing that others haven't faced. My mom died, but many of you have lost a parent. There have been some other things, but I really don't think this has anything to do with any thing that's happened to me. And most, by most measures, my life is easier than it's ever been and better than I deserve. I'm healthy. My family is healthy. My finances are fine. My marriage is good. I, I love my church staff, every single person. And I believe that God's blessing our church. I am, um, things are fine. but I'm just dead on the inside. I'm embarrassed to tell you that. I've always believed in life that if you, if you have a problem, if you just get up a little earlier in the morning and you just work a little harder, you can get through anything. And, um, and that served me well for 54 years, um, but it's not serving me well today. I have tried so hard to keep this a secret, but church, I just can't pretend any longer. I know I'm not the first minister or pastor to go through this. I know my mentor in the ministry who has pastored many more years than I have, but I know in talking with him, he has gone through this twice in his 50 years of pastoring. Uh, I once spent a week with Adrian Rogers. Some of you will know that name. No, he couldn't preach for nearly a year. Charles Spurgeon, you may know that name in history. Moses, Elijah, and Jonah. Um, so frustrated in ministry that each of those three, the Bible says, considered suicide. I've never been to that place. But I know I'm not the first minister to suffer. Um, I don't put myself in the category with any of those I've listed, but I believe 
I genuinely believe that like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the enemy's best soldiers have tied me up. It is beyond my resources and my strength to free myself, but I genuinely believe the Lord is with me and through this furnace experience, he will burn the bonds and set me free. So at the advice of some specialists that are assisting me through this, men that do this for pastors around the country, um, with the permission and the encouragement and the support of a diverse group of church leaders here, uh, I'm going to take a little time off. I'm going to, uh, I suppose we call that a sabbatical. I've struggled with this. Uh, nobody is asking me to do this. Nobody has even suggested this until I met with some of our church leaders last Tuesday night and asked their input. Um, I know there will be six or seven people in the church and community who will make this hard for me. I almost let that keep me from doing this, but I don't really. I'm not. This is what I need to do to be the best pastor I can be in my last couple of decades of ministry. My goal is to submit to what the Lord wants me to do in the furnace, to get back my motivation, to refill my bucket, to make an investment in my spiritual and emotional health that will allow me to be a stronger pastor for First Baptist Church of Nacogdoches for the rest of my working days. Every person I have shared this with in the past week has expressed their support, and I've just been overwhelmed by their love. Leaders, personnel committee, deacons, and mostly our staff. Serving with you and beside you and being a part of this church is the greatest privilege in my life. And I look forward to spending the rest of my ministry years serving here. So the details I fully expect to be back here. Um, by the way, I'm not leaving town. I'm staying for the most part here in Nacogdoches. But, um, I fully expect and plan to be back here in church serving December 1st. I ask that you pray for me. Uh, the sabbatical will consist of time in God's word, time with my family, counseling, healing, Pray for me because I need the Lord to fix what is broken, to fill what is empty, and to loose what is bound. Things here at the church will not miss a beat. You are about to realize how incredible your church staff is. One of my biggest fears is that you will realize in the next few weeks just how small a part of all of this I play. And I just hope somebody wants me back when I come. <laughs> Nothing is canceled here, regular schedule, every activity. Really, our church won't miss a beat. Uh, be here, be involved, and pray that the Lord will bring strength and encouragement to me so that I can bring strength and encouragement to others for the glory of God.